Yeah, yeah, just reset it. Hello, Hello and welcome <laughs> to episode two of the WOAS podcast. For this episode, we decided to get meta and talk about our podcast inspiration and our very namesake. Uh, we're talking about none other than Dan Auerbach's breakthrough album, Waiting on a Song. And in the spirit of paying homage, I'm going to turn over to my magnanimous co-host uh, for a little bit of background on Dan Auerbach and the Black Keys. Jeremy I had Dillon. To look up. What's that? I had to look up magnanimous and see if that was an <laughs> insult or not. <laughs> well, remember, like you don't understand. Yes, yeah, so you don't know whether that's yeah. an insult. Or... <laughs> I'm too dumb for this podcast, Mike. <laughs> You're going to slowly learn that you'll be the smart guy that's the host, and I'm just the dumb guy who says dumb stuff. Not at all. You you know, it is you speak carefully and thoughtfully, and that's all mm -hmm. that matters. So, I think well, I think you you deliver a lot within quite your... generous. <laughs> hey, um, yeah. So so let's turn it over to you, Jeremy, to sort of get into a little bit of your maybe assessment of Dan Auerbach and the Black Keys and just how you discovered them or yeah. anything you want to talk about. Yeah, I think we could also just talk about how we came up with the name of the podcast. Sure. We were trying to come up with a name and we wanted a podcast kind of about songwriting and all the elements of that. And I love Dan Arbach. I'm like an obsessed fan um, with his work and so this is what I suggested, and I guess it's going to stick for now. And I think the yeah. w, w O A S, it's kind of like old school radio vibe, uh, which they call I dig. It call letters, right? That's, uh, you know. Call letters, yeah. yeah. So we got W O A S, and it stands for Waiting on a Song, which is this um, the second studio album by Dan Arbach, put out in uh, June 2017. So it's kind of old now, I guess. Yeah like six year old album, but, uh, Dan Arbach is one of my like personal heroes as far as musicianship and, um, songwriting and all that goes sure. whenever I was coming up, um, and first getting into music, like the black keys were the first band, the new first new band that I really was like, this is my stuff right here. Yeah. Yeah. Like there was all kinds of other stuff coming out. That's that I go back to now and I realized was really good. But like mm -hmm. 2005 um, is when I graduated high school and the Black Keys were just coming out with um, stuff around then. So ever since then, I have like a playlist on my Spotify that's just every single Black Keys song. Okay, nice. Like most people would, you know, pare it down to what they right. consider the good songs. But I just You're like, no, I need the full canon. I need everything that they've ever done because I think it's all good. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm like that obsessed fan. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, we can talk a little bit about like this album, um, how it's different than the black key stuff. And, mm -hmm. um, really this is all just bait to get Dan Arbach to come on the show <laughs> at some point. So, um, you know who you are, Dan. Yeah. Dan, if you want to come on the show, big fan right here. Um, I don't know if Mike, is a big fan or not, but we'll, we'll make him one. Yeah. So I, I, I own at least one black keys album. I forget which one, but it's, um, I, I don't want to embarrass myself trying to remember the title, but, um, I, I kind of half wore it out and was very into it. Uh, I want to say it came out in 2009. What's the cover? It's, I feel like it has like, like a spirally kind of thing going on. Um, um, it's probably just turn blue. Okay. So yes, yeah, so that's I the, own, one with the spiral. Okay. So I own or owned, turn blue and um that was kind of my introduction to them beyond you know the first 
song or video or two that I see by them, which I like, yeah. but uh, more appropriate for this discussion. I really, really like waiting on the song. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to dive into all my thoughts just yet, but so, so I'm now a fan by way of this album. Yeah, so maybe we'll play a little bit of the title track, Waiting on a Song. Okay. Then we can kind of dive into this specific track and what we liked or didn't like or just thoughts on it. Okay, excellent. So should we start with the title track? Yeah, let's just also say um, Dan Arbach produced, wrote um, this whole album. So it's a lot of Arbach-isms, I think, throughout this thing. Sure, and an important detail in the sense that whatever we're going to be mentioning, you know, it's... Keep in mind, it comes all from, I'm sure there were other people involved, but like it all comes from one sensibility, one personality, one person. So mm-hmm. that's an important detail because it's hard to pull that off. Um, I don't know if he was producing prior to this or not, but that's no small feat. So, you know, either way, it's um, it's impressive. All right. So get the audio going here. All right. Here we go. 13 on the nose. I've been thinking. I've been humming. I've been picking and I've been strumming just okay just waiting waiting on a song mm-hmm. so I thought that was a perfect name for a, a podcast where you're trying to talk about songwriting because um I mean that song is a song about writing a song yeah and how hard it is and how effervescent the muse can be you know sometimes you you don't know where the inspiration is going to come from. And it seems like this nebulous concept. And even for people that write songs, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, inspiration is not something that you um, always uh, think your way into, right? Yeah. And and the, I wish I, I like picked apart the lyrics. A little, sorry, I did listen to lyrics intently, but I wish I kind of made notes. But there's like a line in here somewhere. Where he's talking about like it like falling from a lamppost or something like that, like yeah. you know, hits you on the head or the shoulder or whatever. Yep. And that like I that's an analogy that I would always use. I was never able to articulate, but but some things do kind of fall out of the sky. And, and mm-hmm. I think it's more a matter of like what you do with that silly little nugget of an idea. Yeah. You know, like because like mistakes often beget like, like a cool idea as well. You know, you you hit something the wrong way on your instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know for me, whenever I'm trying to come up with something, you know, you just play the same old crap you always play because it's familiar. Mm-hmm. And then, like you say, you, you kind of come off the beaten path a little bit or make a mistake. And then it's yeah. just like this little brainwave pattern that happens like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then you got to figure out how to take hold of that thing and like slowly reel it in, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, and it's and there's no, um, you know, certainly no right or wrong way to do it, but there's there's no shortage of ways to sort of approach that from a given angle, you know, mm-hmm. like whether it's like um, you throw things on top of that idea, like the idea doesn't change, and then you build on it, or you have the oomph and the guts of that idea and the feeling, where like the intentions there, but sonically, like something sounds dumb, maybe like the words mm-hmm. you're using are. are terrible and you're gonna have to come up with better lyrics or you're gonna have right. to phrase it differently and stuff so yeah that's usually how it happens for me i think yeah i, I think prompts are good too you know um mm-hmm. like just play these four chords and see what you come up with <laughs> right that can be a good starting place and it's just you know it, you never know where it's gonna happen 
or how yeah, fast I, it's going to happen. Sometimes it's a struggle and sometimes it's just, you have the whole song in two minutes. Yeah. You know, it's great when it comes like that and, and, you know, who knows when that happens, why it is right. Like mm -hmm. when it just comes naturally, you know, maybe just everything in your body and your mind lined up at the same time. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some mystical element, maybe it's science, you know, who knows. Mm -hmm. Um, but, or maybe mysticism is science. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe they're, they're strange bedfellows. Um, but how do you, um, react to it when it's not going that way is key. You know, uh, yeah. like I just did that video about that very subject where it's like, things are going well. And mm -hmm. I, I'm just going to speak for myself. I'm sure there's people out there that experience this when, if you're any kind of artist, visual, musical, whatever, but you, um, it's going well, right? Like, and then you're like, oh, I don't know if I can live up to mm. what just happened and like continue it. <laughs> I may have cashed all my chips on these first two parts. Where do I go with it now? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever run into that, but yeah. 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 yeah I've so. had to put down a song for like two months before because mm -hmm. I'm like, because I have a part that I really like and I can't think of that next part. Yeah. And it's such a struggle sometimes to do that. Look, and for anyone that's watching or listening, like sometimes you have to do that. You have to give it two months. Sorry, yeah. but you know. Yeah, it's really frustrating, but it'll, it'll come out better in the end. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes you get so close to something and you can't, you can't discern. So, right. All right. Anyway, so, so that's that waiting on a song. Well, the only thing I'll add to that um, is that, and I don't mean it in a direct, direct way, but the pacing, the arrangement, it um, it's, reminds me of Credence mm, in a very this, satisfying way, you know. This specific song. Yes, this specific kind of song. Yeah. yeah. So we'll talk about this as we go, but I feel like every song on here is kind of an homage to a, a different band, a different genre, mm -hmm. or different, like, kind of. Collection or, of artists yeah. from you know a genre yeah. and a time. Yeah, I I would I would tack on to that that if you look at everything from the album artwork to like the video he shot for this song, I'm sure there's other mm -hmm. videos I haven't seen yet, to the sonic character of what they did in the production. We will circle back to that later. To the song structure and the arrangements, they're all very deliberately trying to sound like you know, a set of songs from certain types of groups from a certain area, era, basically the, you know, early to let's say like mid seventies at, at the latest. Um, yeah. and, uh, when we talk about either, uh, not the next song, but the next, the, the third and fourth one, I'll, I'll respond with who I think things sound like, but there's a yeah. lot of, you know, deliberate stuff in there. And, and that I'm super impressed by, which by the way, just quick side note, um, I'll elaborate on it later, but just remember Daisy Jones and the Six because there's something similar with that show's soundtrack. But mm -hmm. we'll come back to that. So anyway, so next next song, Shine you're the on second me. person to tell me about this show, Daisy Jones and the Six. So I need to check it out. Yeah, it's good. I like it a lot, but I like it most for the music. Okay, cool. And I think you know if you watch it, you'll you'll see what I mean. Um, all right, let me go to the other tracks. Is it 48? Is that the Time 48. Extent. Yep. Okay. All right. Here we go. And we're going to stop it there. Nice. So this one, this one's called Shine On Me. Um, mm -hmm. It's super poppy. It's one of the only ones I've heard from this album that were, had got any radio play at all. I heard this a couple times, like walking around the grocery store, and I was surprised mm -hmm. every time. Interesting. Uh, 
but it's a catchy track. And this one, um, you talk about seventies. This one kind of reminds me of almost like a George Harrison, like mid eighties kind of thing. Ah, Okay. You beat me to the punch. Not for this song. That's the funny part. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Got... I'm sorry. This is the one I thought was George Harrison. I wrote a note on the other one because of the and then yeah. the, the um... yeah, the big sounds. It's got the 12 string. It's it's mm-hmm. got all those production elements from like a um Jeff Lynn produced George Harrison album. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Or or even even the all things must pass um yeah. Phil Spector approach. Uh-huh. But like that, I mean to replicate that, that's not easy to do. Yeah. Right. And it's a it's a cool song too. Yeah. Um it would be interesting to talk to Dan and see what his specific references were throughout this, mm-hmm. because he's definitely just referencing things for each track. If we're lucky enough, we can ask him if it was subconscious and it just came out that way, which is like mm-hmm. even more interesting. Or if he was deliberate about like, all right, you know, I want this song to sound like a Harrison meets this meets that. Yeah. Kind of yeah. I would love it. to hear more about what he's trying to do there. Um, mm-hmm. Because you have to make all those choices in the production phase. Yes. To make it sound that way. Oh yeah, you're, for sure. You're for like, sure. okay, well, we're gonna do a um, strummy twelve string. Yeah, it's like a call and response. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I, I feel like all of that is deliberate. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think from a writing arrangement point of view, that was deliberate. But as far as who it was trying to be emulating, uh, maybe yeah. maybe not. You know. And I think like maybe the lesson we can kind of take from this, I, mm-hmm. I love this album personally. And I mm-hmm. think it's way different than the stuff he was doing with yes. the black keys. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're they're referencing, you know, a lot of Hill Country blues kind of stuff from Mississippi mm-hmm. where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um but this one he's it's kind of like a love letter to all the other influences he has instead of just these blues guys. And then let me add this. Because it's an important detail as well, I think. His solo stuff, and then this album specifically, is more about the song itself and melodies and counter melodies and melodic ideas, and maybe more of a, a of a interesting set of chord structures that are not anchored on the guitar aspect. Yeah, they're used as ingredients and elemental things, which is what. As a listener, I've grown to appreciate more. I still like to listen to riff rock, and uh, I'm not reducing Zeppelin to this, but just say like a Zeppelin song or a Sabbath song or um, you know Rage Against the Machine or whatever. Yeah. But something a musician, another musician's friend, said to me years ago uh, about that is like, you know, it's cool, it sounds good, and everything, but sometimes what happens is like all of that um, riffing that's going on in the foreground stays rooted in just like one or two chords and it doesn't really make for an interesting sort of you know supporting musical and underlying arrangement the background music is more of a melody instead of like chord structures with melodies weaving in and out of them yep and it kind of simplifies the underlying arrangement too much so i feel like early black keys would be more of that oh yeah and then it's just it's just a guy with a guitar and a guy with playing the drums yeah and it's great it's like you know it's great in the same way that not to compare but the, the white stripes are great yeah. but and he's not th- coming on the podcast now dude <laughs> well, well there's some that beef out. there yeah some beef there <laughs> or at least uh, there was oh was there oh yeah oh okay all right well on, i think i was born on jack white's side based on the, the internet rumors i was reading oh, and some of the I stuff see. i saw from pat carney mm-hmm. like there was pat carney had like a twitter meltdown one time okay about how Jack White hated him and he didn't understand why. Interesting. And I think they ended up like 
having a phone call. I'm sure I'm, they did. This was years ago when this happened, and I'm trying yeah. to remember it all. But he apparently contacted him and was like, dude, there's no beef. You need to relax. <laughs> yeah, and Jack White seems like he's probably, you know, reasonable enough to, uh, you know, relent to yeah. that that sentiment. Yeah, so anyways, to go back to his the arc of his, let's say, songwriting and production. Yeah, this is like an album that you want to mm. listen to as a appreciator of songwriting because the instrumentation is used uh cleverly and enough that it addresses things in the way it needs to and the guitar is used as a perfect complement rather than just in your face and that's all it is you know yeah so that's a good point I, i didn't even think about that but the early black keys albums were recorded in a basement on like a four track mm-hmm. recorder yeah or they have an album called uh rubber factory one of my favorites early mm-hmm. black keys mm-hmm. and it was literally recorded in a rubber factory on four it was either four or eight tracks okay and they were they were producing and engineering everything themselves just setting a mic in front of something yeah and and just playing mm-hmm. with guitar and drums and like maybe they'd go back and add a bass later or put a octave fuzz on so you get a bass type sound but so this isn't his first production, and it's interesting to to see him evolve from just stick a couple mics in front of a drum kit, yeah, and and call it good, versus this, which is highly produced and going for a very specific sound. Which even for someone who's been in the business as long as he has, like this is like highly impressive, you know. Yeah. Um, just even not to jump ahead because I don't even know if it's on like if there's a particular song I'm thinking of, but just the drum sound, mm-hmm. for example, where. You hear a lot of 70s tracks. I don't have examples off the top of my head, but where everything is super uh, close and like in, you know, sounds like it's in the tight room that the, the drums are likely in. Yeah. Versus too much overhead and then adding reverb and adding boom to the drums. It's just everything's like, like the snare is just like tight. Super in the dry. Room. Yeah, yeah. Super dry. And, and like, but just it's so well captured. Probably like animals, Pink Floyd animals. Yeah. Has that kind of drum sounded up front, like you mm-hmm. literally in the drum room with him, but it's not overpowering. You know, if he thought to do that, that's interesting, but also probably not easy to capture that. So I'm sure as a producer, he probably had to, you know, do a lot of um, trial and error with his engineer to figure that out. Yeah. This yeah. is something I've been trying to deal with, with uh, my band recording okay. drums. We have, yeah. we have a non-ideal space and we don't have the best mics in the world. We have what mm-hmm. we have. We have some kind of cheap, dynamic mics yeah um and a couple very cheap like i think they're were like 60 bucks on craigslist pair mm-hmm. condenser mics for the overheads okay and uh, i've been watching non-stop youtube videos on how to properly capture those sounds and Dude. then mix those drums yeah like where am i trying to put the compression and all of that stuff is so hard to do yeah. there's so much to learn yeah. And I was watching another video on this guy who's got, um, he's got this sample pack. It's called mm-hmm. like super dead drum, drum samples. Mm-hmm. I have to look up the guy's name, but he's, he's a really good drummer. Mm-hmm. He's a, some session guy in LA and he has great videos on how to get that super dead seventies, uh, funky jazzy okay. sound on your kit. Yeah. It's a lot of muting, a lot of EQing mm-hmm. compression. You got to get it just right. All those flavors just right. Yeah, no, I feel like miking drums is is a, a for sure a category unto itself. You know, yeah, I think um, you can take a whole college class. 
yeah. whole degree. <laughs> Which, by the way, if we're talking about sample packs, um, when when eventually we have uh, Joe Carell on the show, he's got a mm-hmm. um, a sample pack, the name of which I forget, but I'll put the link in the description. So, you know, that there's another option you have if you want to try to mess with uh, different drum characteristics. Yeah. Okay. So um, next up, we have King of a One Horse Town. I love the song. Which, by the way, hang on, before you do anything, I just... <laughs> I just want to make a joke that's going to not irk you, but you know, you'd be like, oh, you'll it'd definitely be a groaner or an eye roll. So Kiss has a song called King of the Nighttime World and they go uh-huh. King of the Nighttime World. And it doesn't, they're not the same song, but it's just what I think. So, like when I'm remembering the chorus and they're like, no, 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 it's one horse town, you know? So I like that. I haven't heard you, that Jeremy. song. I love it. <laughs> it's um, better if we disagree about what's good. Sure, absolutely. It's more, it's more conflict. I don't know if you're into sports, but it's like you know you can watch Skip Bayless yell at somebody forever. Right. Yeah. No. You need you need the it's 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 essential to banter. You know. Yes. No one no one ever had an entertaining conversation without you know by agreeing. Right. That's right. Fuck that. Okay. Uh, forty. Is that my timestamp? That's your timestamp. All right. Okay. King of a one horse town. Just And and the chorus goes, I'm a king of a one horse town. Just so yeah. that we those little hear, guitar but... tags. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually a nice little yeah. Yeah. Call and Dinner. response on that. And the the horn samples. I are strings too. I'm not sure if they're actually real instruments, but they sound like No, those strings. are real strings that for sure. Cause it's a it, there's no way that and if they're uh, I'm totally happy to be proven wrong. Mm-hmm. But there's no way that he was going to go for this sound and not use real strings because, mm. and this is where it's maybe more so on the next track. We'll talk about undertow, but the strings sound like Isaac Hayes and Curtis Mayfield songs. Um, yeah. Let's say like walk on by would be one example. Uh, and then, and this is not Isaac Hayes or Curtis Mayfield, but like, I'll be around, like, whenever you call me, I'll be there, I'll be around. There's a lot of like string vamping going on in that, mm-hmm. um, that has that same, it's like several violins, maybe violas with a specific kind of reverb that glues to the violin sound where it's, it's not just, oh, a violin in a room. They're, they're sort of like, uh, you can't remove the. You're almost getting from... like a chorusing effect on it. Yeah, there you go. Chorus effect, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this track and the other one, uh, which we'll get to Undertale, um, have that. And it, it's it's such a great element and effect mm-hmm. and, and sets such a mood. But like, I mean, I know for me, my mind immediately goes to that side tangent really short. But songs like that are mm-hmm. very well curated on the soundtrack from the movie Dead Presidents. Do you remember that? I haven't um, seen that movie. Okay. It, it's pretty good. It's a little sort of all over the place, but the soundtrack's great. And it was the first time I ever heard like real James Brown. And mm-hmm. when I said real, I mean like 70s funked up stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and probably the, the first time I heard Sly and the Family Stone too, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like such a slamming collection of songs, but captured this very specific period of late 60s into mid 70s soul mm-hmm. uh, that that sounded very different than the Motown stuff or, you know, things that preceded it. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and particularly those arrangements for what, cause you know, Isaac yeah, the Hayes strings is bringing it to a whole nother level. Yeah. Oh, and I'm sorry. And my whole point I was leading to is that I would call that seventies orchestral soul, because mm. if you take Curtis Mayfield or Isaac Hayes, again, they were approaching it more from like a composer arranger standpoint, like someone like a Quincy Jones or one of those band leaders would. Yeah. So this is going on in that and he really captured it. So like, I would be shocked if he replicated that with uh, virtual instruments. And if so, then I want to know which virtual instruments and I'll, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I, I was wondering if it's even like sampled like Mellotron style. It could be, but the, generally the Mellotron. Um, and again, anyone challenge me on this. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but the Mellotron stuff, at least in terms of like that Mellotron string sound that we all know mm. for different, you know, um, instruments, but let's say like for violins. Yeah. The, the, um, the signature isn't exactly as like long as what, they're doing this like there's not as many options to tweak the like sounds stabs and things yeah you know it sustains to a certain point mm -hmm. and you kind of have to make decisions about how you're going to notate because there's not a living breathing variation inherent in the mellotron sound that that i've seen i'm sure like these crazy ass mellotron keyboards that they still make to this day that are modernized can yeah. do wacky things but i i don't think would produce that yeah you know so well, he can probably afford to hire some strings. Yeah, and I mean, like, why wouldn't you, you know? Yeah, why wouldn't you? I mean, it's just it's going to sound better. It's probably more fun, like, from a producer standpoint, too, to, mm -hmm. like, get the strings in, get the mics all set up, and well, get that take. Well, and also, to an extent, there's no limitations. I mean, if you're, if you're dealing with VST strings, you're only as good as what that software is going to allow you to do. Yeah. From a, you know, and, and it's, like, I know for me, it's hard to sort of, figure out what you're hearing in your head, what you're going to need to do within the constraints of those settings to achieve the result. And not just yep. from a point of view, if you don't know the, the musical vocabulary or like a theory-based technique, yeah. it's also just a matter of you're hearing it unfettered in your imagination. And, it, you know, if you could play the violin, great, you know, and then maybe you can execute that right. yourself, but it would be easier to like hum that to a human. Yeah. And like, this is what I'm going for. And then let them hack it out. And then you have that understanding. And that's where like AI is never going to, Take note, hope. everyone Let's listening. Hope. AI is never going to be able to do that. Sorry, AI. I saw a quote from uh, Joe Walsh where he said, AI will never be able to trash a hotel room. <laughs> so until I can do that, he won't care. He would know. You know? Yeah, he would know. I mean, no, there's no, something to okay. that. There's something to that, though. Like, if everybody just listened to AI music all the time, there's no soul behind it. Like, even if the music is good, you know, subjectively good. Mm-hmm. It, there's no person behind it that's making it. There's no personality. Like we can sit here and talk about like the growth of an artist, right? Like Dan Arbach from the early days in the black keys to this album. Mm -hmm. You're never, you don't get any of that interesting backstory with an AI. It's just, um, I typed in a prompt and this is what came out. Yeah. And I mean, also when you're, when you're asking anything of AI, it's kind of like an in the moment based on some criteria type of, you know, reaction. Um, mm -hmm. and, and uh, curation that it's doing. It's not, it's not going to like build the arc of a human's progress from point A to point B. Yeah. I, you know, it may be able to do something that will sound like someone that's gotten to that point. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's not going to be able to sort of go through those nuances of what a human's going to experience and then put into the music or you know, right. the art. Yeah. Maybe, I this totally is, maybe this is what the labels yeah. are going to do though. Eventually is you have an AI artist. I think uh, I saw a Beato video where he's Ugh. talking about this idea, yeah. but, but you have AI an AI artist. artist, you, you, 
you follow their AI career. And mm-hmm. that sounds really depressing to me that it's not a real person behind it. Yeah. Or if you just make it like a game, like a Sims uh, or whatever, like that's different. You know, if you're kind of mm. making like a, a an entertaining activity out of it. But I don't think it like no one will want to sit there and watch the equivalent of like five movies about what some robot thinks is cool because it's not like at some point it's going to go off the rails in terms of like yeah like being interesting i think yeah we'll I see think, i mean i i think i think like, well i hope I, either I hope way no one is sucked into this world of ai look it's going to go the way it goes but i'm saying either way the human input is kind of essential in the sense that side tangent but like let's just take echo and google assistant and siri mm-hmm. they all have varying degrees of comprehension in terms of what you're asking Right. right. And, and, and sometimes, you know, like within the course of a day or two, you can ask the same thing that you asked two days ago and it doesn't get it right. Yeah. But if, if you have someone, you know, they do like all this modeling where they feed in different information and it learns, well, you know, okay. Yeah. It learns. Sure. But at the end of the day, only a, a critical thinking being like a human or who and whatever has the capacity for critical thought is going to be able to make the right discerning choices about stuff. Because for a machine to do that, you have to, f- feed it the modeling to even understand how to do that. And and even then it's still going to be limited to like a certain scope or spectrum. Right. So you're like so, pre-feeding it opinions. Yeah. Well, it's just like, yeah, like obviously, you know, we have these supercomputers in our pockets that would have taken up a whole room before, you know, but, but mm-hmm. like <laughs> if you're using that analogy, it's like we had to feed that thing cards, to just do like math equations. Yeah. This is way more advanced. And yes, they've been kind of set out into the wild to do certain things. They're listening to us. They're making, you know, you go on the web, you're being fed different ads, uh, retargeting, things like that. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's all going on. But the thing is, like, someone had to set that in motion. Right. So whether it becomes sentient or not, which I don't think it's going to happen in the way people are concerned about, it's still only operating within a certain scope that we yeah. kind of defined. Yeah. And again, you know, any any techies take me on. I'll take you down. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I don't or know. Or not. Or I'll just look about like that. an idiot. Yeah. You know. Anyway, I, wait. I'm interested back. in this. I'm interested in AI though, so I could talk about this for a while. We can. We, this may be a good. Um, uh, yeah, it could a be perfect, a whole episode. Yeah, just because it's if we're talking about it, um, infiltrating songwriting, um, you know, we can, yeah we can kind of make argue, arguments for and against. Anyway, back to to waiting on the song. So, yeah, so uh, I wanted to talk about the songwriting about on this track specifically because it's kind of an interesting um, sure. viewpoint. I think there's some artists that do this. It's more kind of like a folk. Mm-hmm. kind of kind of thing where you're writing from the perspective of this down in their love character that's not most of my songs are like you know they're very first person mm-hmm. in a lot of ways or tangentially related to people i know yeah but i haven't i haven't personally written a song yet that's kind of from this perspective where like you're a character like, yeah you're a character yeah and the, and the song is coming from a character and it's right there's like a sadness to the song King of a one horse town. It's about this guy who, you know, he's, he's still in the same town he grew up in and he's not happy, but he's too scared to, to make any changes. And it's not really glorifying that. I think there's like some sadness in there, but um, to put yourself in that state of mind where you can sing that song and write it is an interesting thing to me. Yeah. Something something I want to try. I felt that, what you're talking about, I felt that in the song, in the verses, mm-hmm. the way the the melody um, works in the verses. Let me see if I go back to there. I just stay in this cry. He sounds like he's 
bummed out. Yeah. And it works and it's, and it's, it's sympathetic, empathetic. I don't know which, but yeah, it's from his point of view. It's like, there's a sadness, but it's also, you can, I think everybody can relate Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Like there's Mm -hmm. a line in here. um, I jump into the ocean, but I'm scared. I drown. Like, I think we can all kind of relate to that Mm -hmm. on a lot of levels. Yeah. Yeah. Therefore, maybe part of writing about a character in a humanistic way is to the to be empathetic towards the emotion that that actual or fictitious fictitious person would go through. Sorry, because then it gives them a a reality, a universe where well, okay, like it's not not this exactly the same song, but like Eleanor Rigby mm-hmm. is often reference references one of those ones where oh, you know, Paul McCartney's very good at creating a character-based oh, yeah. narrative, right? And that yeah. one, like that song, you do feel bad for everyone in that song. Yeah. Um, you know, just even by by way of the, like, all oh, the lonely people, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's like probably the most, it's like very direct, but right. that's why it's effective, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think this does that, except it's from that first-person perspective. You know, it's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm the king of the one-horse town. And, and, and even that, right? because it's kind of more like in a major key upbeat, not, mm-hmm. you know, I don't mean like the rhythm changes, but it's, you know, more happy. Yeah. Um, right. It's like almost self mocking or it's, it's a little bit sarcastic. Up. Yeah. Sarcastic. Yeah, exactly. Which is great. You know, like very yeah. subtle kind of trick in there. Um, Even like dancing Nancy's uh, a friend of mine years ago, pointed this out. Um, Dave Matthews song. I'm not familiar with that one. I okay. gotta get up. Up on my Dave. Same thing happens in that song. So just you know, when, when uh-huh. dancing Nancy's. Mm-hmm. It's a great song. Um, yeah. But but it also it does exactly what this does, where it's someone who's just in a like a rough mental place, and then the chorus is like sort of sarcastically lamenting. Yeah. Almost like you're celebrating your misery, kind of thing. You know. Yeah. So. I, I also find it interesting when someone that's super successful, like mm-hmm. I would consider Dan Arbach to be extremely successful in music. Sure. Yeah. To, to write a song like this where it's like about a guy who lived a completely different life than what he lived mm-hmm. and he's able to find a song out of that yeah may, maybe some of that is also tying it back to the what one would have written about in an era like this mm-hmm. you know like may, maybe that would have been more appropriate subject matter in like 1972 right like Jim Croce would be a good example of that where uh-huh. he's there's so many songs you could reference but like um he's got this one called uh so the title is called working at the car wash but the chorus goes um i got those steadily depressing no good mind messing working at the car wash blues uh-huh. and it totally works like syllabically and everything else like it just it's yeah. not you know sometimes like people like stretch the the words and like you know like, yeah you could have done better you know uh-huh. It's like steadily depressing, no down mind messing, working at the car wash blues. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a what? summer anthem right there. Yeah, yeah, but no, but <laughs> I bring that up because Croce did that well, where there was always like a character that had a hardship yeah. that may or may not have been him. Likely, he was talking about like you know working odd jobs and like just having yeah. shitty things um, happening in his life. But um, oh, he'd be a good one to do an episode on. Yeah, he would. Anyway, so yeah, but just it, so it's again, like I think it's appropriate to the era as well. So if if, yeah. if he thought if Dan thought yeah, that's to kind do of the that. songs they're writing then, right? Versus yeah, pop songs now where it's just like 
dance. Go dance. Well, yeah. It's not that they're not talking about like stuff that's going on mentally or whatever in their mm-hmm. life, but it's there's more like pizzazz behind it. So you don't take that away from the song. It's like a little mm-hmm. bit more um because the melodies are so like intricate in the sense that you know we talked about this on another in another chat where like the melodies are so much in the foreground and that's what you focus on it's almost like you just completely miss the lyrics yeah to an extent absolutely which by the way in a lot of these frivolous pop songs there are pretty interesting thoughtful lyrics written it's just that you miss them because of exactly what we're talking about you know so or they just repeat like like the hook five times and you forgot that yeah, right. the verse was actually interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So undertow undertow. Should we, uh, all right, let me, let me get this that. one's, I think my favorite track on this. Okay. One. I, I now agree with you. I think at first I thought tied between, uh, waiting on a song and King of one horse town, but I think this may be my jam too. Uh, actually, you know what you, can you want play. one, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to break this in two parts. I, I like the intro. Yeah. Play the intro. The intro is great. No, not that, not that. Okay, so you get the idea, but like Love they it. get there's another thing they do in this. Sorry, I don't mean to, to jump all over this, but no. there's another there's two things going on here that I like that are both era specific, but I wish I heard more of now. Mm-hmm. The kick in all the songs essentially but especially this one just thump thump and it's it's like a a roomy kick you don't have the the super roomy right i'm listening to that in my headphones i haven't really listened to this album on headphones it's so roomy it's massive and if you're listening in the car it almost hurts your ears which is kind of (laughs) cool but it's it doesn't have that two to five k smack that you would Mm. hear now yeah and then they don't overly isolate the i don't know like the like the 80k where it's like overly dry yeah. thump bassy so yeah. it's got that nice kind of maybe even like not bottom but roomy kind of kick yeah it just but, sounds like an old kick mm-hmm, which i i like That's i big. i i go for the modern kick in my mixes but i do like this you know mm-hmm. but then the other thing is the xylophone I meant to yeah. i meant to bring this up before because it's this is like one of i think three songs where they do this yeah and it's, it's all one of those over things, this album yeah and you don't hear it nowadays mm-hmm. i mean maybe in some songs but but what they do in this, what he does in this song or whatever that, you know, whoever's playing the xylophone, they're just accent notes and you almost miss them. But then what they do is they elevate the whole melody. Cause you have a, you got a guitar in the front and a bass, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. kicks kind of following that pattern. And then that like xylophone bell is sitting on top of that. And yeah. it just like, boop, like, you get, like pushes the entire frequency spectrum playing that melody. It's yeah. Great. Which, which sometimes that can be a little remedial feeling because, you know, if we're talking about riff rock, when everyone's just playing the, mm-hmm. the same, like, let's say it's five notes and, the, you know, it's like, it's fine. But when that happens for like 16 measures, it gets old. But you do this kind of arrangement where, like you're saying, it represents the sonic spectrum. And, and I would yeah. argue that it's just, it's like in the same way that compression is bringing out details that you wouldn't otherwise hear or reverb or whatever. This xylophone on top, you almost miss it. Because yeah. it just kind of does more of an accentuation to everything else rather than like you're focusing on the xylophone. Yeah. Uh, and and super, very much a hallmark of what people were doing at that point in time that he's yeah. trying to replicate. Yeah, I love it. I love that xylophone. And I think this is kind of a, a riff rocky song, but just mm-hmm. in a different genre. Like this feels like with some different production choices, it could yeah. be a Black Keys song. 
like if you just did like a fuzz octave guitar mm-hmm. uh, instead of all of the other stuff with the xylophone and this like cleaner guitar and the bass it would still work it. yeah i mean well, yeah. And let me go to 109 just in case there's more of what we're like a, or another example of what we're yeah. talking about got a lot of cool sound effects going on mm-hmm. also something i'm noticing i think it's the kick it may be some some other piece on the kit that they're hitting maybe the snare but like there's like a like a distortion on the hit mm-hmm. like a like a crackle but oh, it's yeah. very like satisfying and appropriate to the song yeah it's not too high end but it's a lot of saturation on that yes and and what i would say about this one and there's an honorable mention or two we'll get into after this but what i would say about this one is it almost steps out of the authenticity because there's a couple of techniques or things they're using that almost sound more like what the modern day indie sound indie not that they're coming from indie bands but like a father john misty or a i guess fits in the tantrums or a group like that uh-huh. where they're trying to make it sound older but to an extent they're using more current indie sounding things and then it's this like weird in between of what indie sounds like and then the implication of the old stuff right it's like a it's like a caricature in some ways of yes. the old stuff. Yes, and this is or they're just borrowing like two elements instead of like six. Mm-hmm. And then this is like this whole album is like he's nailing everything except for one song. We'll get into that in honorable mentions. Okay, but <laughs> but um he's nailing it with this. But there's like almost like moments, and I don't know what it is if it's like what they're doing with the vocals probably that make it sound more leaning towards that indie-ish kind of interpretation. Yeah. But yeah, I mean whatever. It still sounds great. It's just yeah. Just a, just a nuance to know. Yeah, there's some some new and some old. Yeah. In here, and I think this, those little samples going through, like the riser there, or the, uh, what's essentially a riser on a slide guitar. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're pulling in some of those things that are newer ideas. Yes. That maybe they wouldn't be doing on some record from the '70s. Right. Or the or they wouldn't have had the session players wouldn't have been as bold. Unless, yeah. they, unless maybe they were like instructed by the producers, like, "Hey, just fuck around," you know. Yeah. Also, um, you're not getting that fat of a kick sound on an old record, right? Just as we talked about the vinyl, in the last episode, yeah, yeah because of the the frequency cut off, the the low cut and the yeah. high cut, or just the low cut. I think the the high cut too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and again, the the the, the saturation or the crackle on that kick or whatever's going on adds mm-hmm. a very interesting element, which I really like. You know. Um, but that could also go horribly wrong if you don't do that correctly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and go back to the riff rock thing. This is very much a melody that's built on that riff. Mm-hmm. That he's playing like he's, everything's doubled. You got the bass, the guitar, the xylophone, and the vocals all doing the same melody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something he does a lot in the Black Keys. And it's kind of a blues thing mm-hmm. um, that he's taken and used in this context. And I think it's a cool, it's a cool element to bring in. Yes, I agree. And sounds I sounds fresh. Be- Mm-hmm. And not to be redundant, but like this is what, how Isaac Hayes would have done it. I'm sorry, this is how yeah. Curtis Mayfield would have done uh-huh. this. Probably the exact arrangement he would have done if he wrote yeah. this song, you know, um, which is awesome. Long live Curtis Mayfield. Yeah. And these are things like, as I'm listening to these records, um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, okay, how can I write a song that has a melody and a guitar riff that's all synced up that way, that syncopation? Mm-hmm. And so... That's the whole point in my mind of going through these old songs is getting inspired and yeah. trying to, how can I use this element from that and this element from this thing and make a new thing? 
Yeah, I mean, it may very well be, which I think we're kind of making the argument for, that there may have been a lot of things that were lost or or just kind of morphed into other current standards right? that like aren't really used anymore. And it's worth taking a second look at. And it's good that like an album like this comes along not, not too many years ago that does exactly that. Kind of reminds you that there was some really great ideas and, and templates yeah. you know, to work from or with at the time. Yeah. And I think that's the way to approach um, any song that you're working on for those people out there that are listening. Mm-hmm. If you're stuck on something, go find an element, just one little piece of a song that you love mm-hmm. and figure out how to work that into your song. Yeah. I would agree. Do we want right, to do so you on- got some, honorable mentions? You got some honorable mentions. Let's okay. hear them. All right. Honorable mentions. Um, Cherry Bomb. Uh, mm-hmm. From my perspective, has all the great production value that everything else has, but it's not. Um, it's not under the same roof as these other songs. Yeah. And it sounds like Beck and Milky mm-hmm. Chance uh-huh. having a baby. N- not every single element, but like his vocal styling and some of the arrangement choice the whistles Mm -hmm. an interesting choice in there i don't know where that came from but it's a good song it sounds like a 90s track slash also a current maybe again milky chance song right um and it's just it's kind of cool to get pulled out of this world for a second just be put back in um so you know (laughs) do you want to play like a little oh yeah sure sure. sorry Uh uh-huh sure Uh, let me go over the album hopefully this can air yeah, I hope <laughs> or, so. or we just get Dan's permission if not, but we'll see. All right, so one, two, here we go. All right, so I'm gonna stop that. I'm gonna try to get his vocals yeah. next. But that okay, that like that would be Milky Chance. Yeah, yeah. This is back. And I just want to be clear. I think Dan's voice sounds like that. And that's one of his many sort of like voicings, but just, yeah. but I mean, we go from stylistically like this whole, like amalgamation of 70s soul ish, maybe some singer songwriter stuff to like right. this. It's great. I'm just gonna leave but, it at that. Yeah. That, that's a good track too. I, I yeah. like all the tracks on here. They've yeah, all great. got something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but there's Malibu man too, which I just think is yeah. a very, I know that actually this is another one that has the strings in the xylophone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's about three songs that have that, but that's cool because that's another one to your point about the character-driven songs. Uh huh. Yeah, he does he that in that one as well. Yeah, he does a good job. I and I think that's maybe sort of one of those things where you, as the writer, thinking like, well, in my twenties, I wanted to go be this guy and and live this lifestyle, and you know, like Venice mm. Beach or whatever, or Malibu. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, stay the hell out of Malibu, Lebowski. <laughs> Well, it's just like your opinion, man. You know, <laughs> man, don't get me started on Lebowski. Oh, that's great. <laughs> we should, should do some kind of episode on that. Um, that um, movie has a great soundtrack. We could we could do yeah. a whole episode on Lebowski soundtrack. I love yep. it. Man, I hate the fucking Eagles. Get yeah. out of my cab. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that movie um, just the other day. Was yeah. Like driving past the bowling alley. Uh-huh. I love the fact that you've got uh, John Turturro as uh, the, Jesus, the Jesus, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, it, and his theme as he's on the screen is the, is the Spanish version of Hotel California. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it's his, his arch, arch nemesis. And that's his theme is like, Oh, I, the wow. That went Eagles. right over my head. I never yeah. thought of that. That's so funny. Yeah. You just blew my mind. Dude, that's what I'm talking about. I love this movie. I've seen it probably 40 times. Holy shit. That's funny. Wow. 
yeah, there's so many subtle things in there that you can catch oh, yeah. that are just hilarious. Sure. Well, that's you know, Cohen Brothers for you, you know. Yeah. Like sometimes it's so it's so under the under the surface you don't you know you just yeah. miss sure there's a bunch of stuff going on in uh you know country for old men which is like if you really were paying attention it would blow your mind but it's kind of hard to follow and yeah and a lot of things don't resolve in a satisfying way on the on the forefront but they right. probably do yeah they're yeah. masters man the stuff they, they put are. into their movies there's so many details i still say the best thing they've ever done is raising arizona but that's uh, a good one it's yeah. a good one um well, Look, now, now, it's, now it's a film movie. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get my um, buddy Tommy on here. Yeah. We can talk go. films all day. Sure. Sure. Yeah. If you if there's another podcast started, I'll, I'll happily, you know, uh be a guest on it. Um okay, so well anyway, um that's probably a good place to end it. I think that was a, a probably a, a fair analysis for anyone that maybe wants to dive into the world of uh Dan Auerbach. There you go. There's a, a nice yeah. little sort of um digestible, hopefully. Uh, break down of some of the songs and and you know maybe what was going on in the background and and what's interesting about it but uh yeah that that would conclude our uh episode two and we got the uh the homage thing out of the way and uh yeah you know now we don't have to ever deal with that again unless we have sure. dan arbach on the show yeah which we would love to yeah have Come to deal with show. that in that in that regard yeah um well anyway yes jeremy thank you for taking this us on that journey um, I think, uh, we've learned some things we've maybe changed along that journey. Mm. And, uh, I would just, I've done a lot of growth in the last 45 minutes. Yeah, me too. Me too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, anyway, uh, tune in next time for whatever the hell else we come up with. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> and if you have suggestions for things we should talk about, put them in the comments. Yeah. To build on that. If there's anything else that anyone wants to point out, maybe, you know, more about yeah. when it comes to, let's say. Um, this artist or this album in any of our episodes, please chime in. Uh, yeah, we're not, call us dumb. Yeah, we're Tell we're not the sole authorities on these subjects, obviously. So, you know, please uh, let's let's have the conversation. And uh, anyway, thank you very much. Uh, thank you to my co-host Jeremy Dillon, and I am Mike Wadu for the WAS podcast. We'll talk to you next time. See you, Mike. See you, buddy. Did you enjoy that episode? Yes. Would you like to see and hear more? Please like and subscribe, and you'll automatically receive notifications when we publish new episodes. Thanks for watching and listening to the WOAS podcast.